0: 12:37. okay. Even though he had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. But this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, who said, Lord, who has believed our message, and who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts, and be converted, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, The one who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And the one who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't accept my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command as to what I should say and what I should speak. I know that his command is eternal life, so the things that I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Lord God, we just pray for Rob as he comes up t- today, um, that Holy Spirit, you would just lead his tongue and that he would just speak words from you, Lord, that words that would glorify you, that would build us and encourage us, teach us so much more about your character, your goodness, um, and just make us more in awe and in love with your word, Jesus. And we just pray this in your mighty name. Amen. All right.
1: Well here we are it's been a while since i've preached uh, with all the video stuff i've kind of been given this uh, other job so uh, it's kind of nice to get up here and and get back to this role Uh, and this week we are on our very last week in john Uh, we'll circle back we'll do the other half of john next year sometime Uh, but we're going to have a bit of a break here and it's a, a really fitting place for us to stop a lot of people see a divide here this is uh, the last of Jesus' public teaching. This is the last words he'll say to the crowd uh, right through till he gets arrested and, and obviously he speaks at the trial and, and so on. Uh, but so here in this last address to the crowd, this last little bit in this section of John, uh, we get kind of a summary, uh, uh, this wrapping up of what we've seen over the, the first 12 chapters uh, and in it comes a, a final appeal from Jesus. Uh, to this listening crowd. Uh, and we see uh, in this appeal, in this last bit, uh, quite a jarring response from the crowd. Uh, many of the crowd, uh, in the way that they respond to Jesus' ministry. Um, uh, now, to help us think about this, um, many of you know, some of you don't, that, that one of my favourite hobbies uh, is brewing beer. Uh, I quite like it. Uh, lots of people see homebrew as this. This thing about saving money—it's uh, beer on the cheap—but uh, that's that's not my view of homebrew. Uh, I don't like that that cheap, uh, poor-tasting stuff. For me, uh, it's got nothing to do with quantity. It's all about quality. Uh, when I make a beer, I'm chasing perfection. Uh, It's about getting just the right mix of ingredients, uh, the right grains, the right hop with with just the the aroma you want for that beer, Uh, putting it all together so it just hits the spot. Uh, I I generally spend more time wrestling with my ingredients, working out the process, than I actually do making the beer, or or drinking for that matter. Uh, And then comes the day... Uh, After weeks and weeks and weeks, I I finally got the right mix of ingredients, I've kind of chosen. Uh, I've got it at the right temperature. I've worked through the process. It's fermented, it's rested, it's carbonated. Uh, Weeks all up and it's good to go. Uh, Now, it doesn't always go to plan, uh, but every now and then I nail it. Uh, It all comes together just right. Uh, And in those moments as I, I savour what I've accomplished, uh, I like to hand it over to Kirse. I give her a little sip. I don't do it at the moment. She's pregnant. Uh, there's no drinking at the moment. But, uh, but typically, I'd hand it over so she can reap the rewards of my hard work. I pass it over to expectant, waiting for her response. Uh, and inevitably, she'll say something like, Oh, it tastes like beer. <laughs> it's disappointing. All my hard work. Uh, and her response just doesn't match. She doesn't get it. The, the efforts are lost. Uh, I'm sure it goes the other way. I'll, often she'll slave away at, a, at this incredible meal and I'll come up hungry and just woof it down and, and not realise the, the heart that she's put into it. Uh, and again, a disappointing response. Uh, it can be disappointing when the significance of what we've done is lost on the people that we've done it for. Not that I make the view for curse, that's probably stretching the illustration Uh, but but when we think about it uh, there's no reaction that falls so far short i don't think uh, as the one that we see in today's passage as the crowd responds to jesus Uh, have a look with me at the very first verse that cass read uh, verse 37 Uh, now it's there up on screen uh, so you can follow along or, or great to have your bible open as well so you can see what's around it Uh, It says, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now, uh, over the past twelve chapters that we've seen so far in John, we've seen some pretty incredible things. Uh, What what John calls signs, uh, we see a whole bunch. So, so in our series, we've seen Jesus turn water into wine. Uh, we've seen him heal an official son uh, without even being in his presence. Uh, he's made a paralysed man walk. He's fed over 5,000 with, with just uh, five loaves and two fish. Uh, he made a blind man see. And, and most recently in chapter 11, we saw him bring Lazarus back from the dead after four days. And on top of all that, he's proclaimed that he and God are One. Uh, And it's not just words, he's backed it up. uh, With those signs, uh, with a a teaching and authority that no one had ever seen before, Uh, he comes offering to bring light and life to the people. And after all of that, all that he has said and done, many, most even, refuse to believe. And it's clearly the wrong response, isn't it? Jesus has shown so clearly who he is, and yet they still refuse to believe. When we get to the end of the book of John, uh, we read that John wrote this stuff down for a reason. The, these signs exist for a reason, uh, for the sake of people believing. Have a listen, we, we've looked at this verse before, but have a look, listen again. Uh, chapter 20, verse 30 and 31 says Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name that's why the book of John exists uh, that people might believe and these signs are compelling evidence for us to believe that Jesus is exactly who he claims to be uh, keep in mind for, for this listening crowd, uh, they're not just reading it, uh, they've seen it. They've seen Jesus with their own eyes. They might not have seen all the signs, uh, but almost certainly they've seen some of it. They've witnessed firsthand Jesus performing these miracles, uh, speaking these words, and yet they still do not believe. And so today we're going to tackle the issue of this response, of how people respond to the gospel. We're going to ask, why is it that some people believe and others refuse? And on the surface, I think each, each response seems simple. But we'll see with each as we dig a little, there's a bit more to it than what we first see. Uh, what we might assume Uh, so the three responses we'll see Uh, firstly we'll see the wrong response uh, that unbelief that that happens there in verse 37 Uh, we'll then see this sort of middle ground uh, that gets talked about uh, a sort of belief that doesn't go all the way Uh, and lastly we'll see the true belief Uh, and like I said with each it's more complicated than it first appears Uh, so wherever you think you land I, I want you to listen in uh, hear what we have to learn uh, from these different responses uh, so we'll kick off with that first one there with unbelief uh, we saw already from verse 37 uh, that many would not believe and it seems that there's a refusal to believe uh, despite what they've seen the, the many miracles uh, these people won't submit to Jesus as their king they they still would not believe in him uh, and throughout the Gospels, we, we, of course, see different reasons why people reject Jesus, different reasons for, for people to refuse to believe. Uh, Judas, for example, we know uh, he's motivated by money, isn't he? He puts money before Jesus and so refuses uh, to believe. Uh, the Pharisees, for the most part, they reject Jesus for fear of losing their posi- position. Uh And so there's clearly different things that will get in between people and Jesus, things that will stop them from believing. Um, But as we read on in today's passage in John chapter 12, uh, we find that there's something deeper at play. Uh, So we'll start at verse 37 and we'll keep reading on to see what it says. Uh, So even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Uh, And so John quotes there uh, two different parts of Isaiah, two two different parts of this book from the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah was written around 600 years before Jesus. Uh, And notice uh, in those passages the very active role that we read that God has in their unbelief. He, that's God, has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts. Uh, And so we see in in this passage that there's more to this unbelief than simply those people choosing not to believe in God, choosing uh, away from God. We we see that God's choice, in fact, is at play. Uh, Now, I've had quite a wrestle uh, as I worked through this passage, as I I tried to work out what to preach, uh, trying to figure out what to say at this point. Uh, because this concept of god's choosing uh, is not a short and simple one and it's certainly one that most of us have had a hard time wrestling through or will have a hard time wrestling through uh, it's also a topic that we've seen come up a number of times through this book of john uh, and so if you've been following along in this series it shouldn't be a new idea to you and uh, in fact just a few weeks ago uh, that week where we paused and we went to the multi-purpose center um, we, we paused the John series for a week, and we did that so that we could dig a little bit deeper into this very idea of God's choosing. Uh, and in particular, we looked at the assurance that comes with it. Uh, so if this topic is something you want to dig into and haven't yet, I reckon that's a really good place to start. Uh, Liam does quite a, even a long sermon for Liam, uh, digging into to that idea and giving us the background and kind of the theology through the Bible of what we, we need to know. Uh, And it's far more than we can do in the midst of just a regular sermon. Uh, So if you haven't heard that one yet, uh, I encourage you to go back and and listen to it. Uh, And so given that that's there, uh, I'm not going to dive too deep this week. Uh, This week, I just want to notice a couple of things that come up there. Uh, A couple of quick things. Uh, The first one I want us to notice is that God is not unfair. Uh, I think often we get this idea, uh, when we hear of of God blinding some people, uh, that that God is being grossly unfair, Uh, and by that, uh, what's generally meant is that he's taking someone who would otherwise uh, be deserving of being saved, uh, and then he shuts the door on them, uh, that he rips them off from something that they've deserved. That's often the, the image that I think is conjured in our heads. Uh, But that's not the case at all. Uh, The reality is that all of us, each and every one of us, everyone here in this room, everyone in the world, uh, deserves God's wrath. Uh, We read it clearly in the Bible. Romans 3.23 tells us uh, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God blinding people's eyes and hardening their hearts leads them to exactly the place they deserve to be. And for those of us who've had our eyes opened, uh, we, we, we need to recognise that we are no more deserving of the salvation that we've received uh, than, than they are. We haven't done anything extra. It's not a thing that we've earned. Uh, it's, that's what grace is. It's a gift that we've been given. Left to our own devices, everyone, that is everyone in the world, has the same foolish blindness... Uh, that sees the signs of Jesus and chooses to ignore them. God is only unfair in that despite what we deserve, he allows some of us to see it and to believe. Uh, now, the second thing I want to draw out uh, is that the Bible doesn't allow us to dodge the responsibility of our actions. Uh, and so the, the other response that we get to this choosing of God, uh, as we look at the idea of God choosing some... Uh, is that we, we often assume that that means we are therefore no longer responsible for our actions. Uh, we tend to create this false dichotomy, uh, this false idea that either God chooses and so it becomes a matter of fate, that we're just doing what we've been programmed to do like a robot, uh, and so we're not responsible for our actions. Uh, so So either that on one side or on the other side, that the only alternative to that is that God doesn't choose, and so we are completely in control to choose as we see fit, to reject Him or accept Him as we choose. Uh, That's the idea that gets thrown up, that it's one or the other. That's all it can be. But that's not what the Bible presents us with. Uh, The Bible actually holds up something else. The Bible holds up that God does choose. Uh, And without his intervention, we are completely unable to see and believe. And that we, at the same time, are also responsible for our actions and the consequences that come with them. Both are true. God chooses. We're incapable of choosing him without his intervention. But we're also responsible for our actions. We bear the consequences of what we've done. Uh, now that's one of those very difficult tensions that the bible holds up to us Uh, and i think uh it's hard as we work on that as we try to understand it we want to wrap it up neatly we want to put it in a box that we can comprehend a little bit better Um, but that's the reality both are true Uh, it's even there in this passage i don't know if you noticed Uh, verse 37 we read that they would not believe in him they're active Uh, they are active in their disbelief but then down in verse 40 we read that God has blinded their eyes he's hardened their hearts so that they cannot see or understand or turn to him both are there and present Uh, now it's right throughout the Bible I'm not just picking on this passage Uh, it's something that's present and something we need to wrangle uh, wrestle with uh, get right in our minds Uh, Now, I think as we we try and think about that, a really good example of this happens when we look at Exodus in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Israel, God's people, are trapped in slavery in Egypt. Uh, I'm sure lots of you have heard the story. Uh, God, through Moses, tells Pharaoh to let his people go. Uh, Pharaoh refuses, and so God sends 10 plagues. Uh, And at each step of the way, through each of the plagues, Pharaoh says, no, I won't let your people go. Now what's particularly interesting in that story is that we read a number of references both of God hardening Pharaoh's heart as well as of Pharaoh himself hardening his heart and I think it gives us a picture of what's going on here. Both God's choice and our responsibilities for our actions are at play. Uh, We can't leave either out. Uh, And I want to urge you, as you think about that, uh, not to try and simplify it down in your minds, to make it more manageable, to make it more understandable, uh, to try and fit it into a box that fits neatly on our shelf. Uh, You'll be tempted to say things like, well, God just knew what you were going to choose, so it says predestination, but really, it's just pre-knowledge. He just knew what you were going to choose. Because that's not what the Bible says. Uh, and we can't twist it to do that. Uh, when we twist those things, we actually uh, we end up with, with false teaching. We end up with something other than the Bible uh, and it leads us away from the truth and it leads us into all sorts of trouble if we handle the Bible like that. Uh, so there you go. There's my two quick things uh, as we wrestle with God's choice. Uh, it's just a taste. Um, there's, of course, much more to say on the topic but for now, that will have to whet your appetite. Uh, I do want to encourage you to to really give yourself time to to wrestle with this, to think about it, to work through it. Uh, Without understanding this doctrine of election, the idea of assurance just doesn't work. We saw that a few weeks ago. Uh, And it will come up again and again. It's something that's spread right through the Bible. Um, So if you want to explore that more, please please come and chat to me, ask a question at the end. Uh, I can give you some some literature that might help. Um, But we'll, we'll stop that bit there. Uh, And after our little taste from that, from today, hopefully, one of the things that you're left with is that the Bible doesn't give us room to turn fatalistic. Uh, We can't read this and say, well, God will choose who he'll choose, and so there's no part for me to play. We can't get away with it. If you're here, and at this point, so far, you've rejected Jesus' offer of life that you've so far refused to believe in him, then the answer is clear. heed the signs. Notice who Jesus is and follow. Likewise, if you already believe, you've been given a job. Bring those signs, bring that truth to the people who need it. Uh, In the book of Romans, uh, there's a great section that that really digs into a lot of this stuff. Uh, Helpful if you want to dig more. Read through chapters 9 to 11 of Romans uh, if you're trying to figure this stuff out. Um, But in there, uh, we read about God's choice. So, So chapter 9, we read these verses. says what then shall we say is God unjust not at all for he says to Moses I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy Uh, the very next bit goes on to talk about uh, Pharaoh's heart and it being hardened and if we stop there we might trick ourselves, we we might get that one side of the coin, tell ourselves that our efforts are unimportant, that we don't have a part to play. Uh, But as we read on in Romans, look, look at what comes next in chapter 10. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so we see it's both. God chooses, and He also involves us in bringing people to belief. The Bible never lets us kick back into fatalism. In this passage, we see three responses, and in each, we are active. So let me encourage you to be active. Uh, that brings us to our second response that we see in the passage i've called this response the middle ground uh, and we see it in verses 42 to 43 have a have a look with me we read yet at the same time many even among the leaders believed in him but because of the pharisees they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue for they loved human praise more than praise from god Now, I've called this this response, this group, the middle ground, because they seem to have a little bit of both, don't they? They seem to have uh, a belief, uh, something from the belief column and something from the unbelief column. They believe in him, it's there. Uh, But they won't acknowledge him. They believe in him, but they love the praise of man more than the praise of God. And so we're left asking, what does this mean? What is this here for? What would this position look like here and now, today? I guess when we boil things down, we need to ask, which side of the line does this person fall? Are they a Christian? Are they saved? Do they fall short? Now, before we answer that question, I want us to spend some time sympathising with their position. I want us to feel where they're coming from. I think we need to notice what it means for someone, particularly a leader, even a Pharisee, to openly acknowledge faith in Jesus in this place and time. We read there that there's a a fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. Now, as we read that, uh, you might think, oh, a little bit inconvenient. Uh, But for them, we're not talking about an inconvenience. We're talking about a life change. Uh, This is not changing the building you go to for church. Being out of the synagogue is akin to being cut off from your community, shunned of all your relationships, your friends, your family, rejecting you. For a Jewish leader to openly acknowledge faith in Jesus at this moment in history means to say goodbye to life as they know it. Uh, It's not uh, unlike the price many uh, people in in Muslim contexts Uh, pay uh, if they come to Jesus Uh, in many parts of the world for a Muslim to choose Jesus is to risk uh, not just being cut off but the possibility of death at the hands of your own family that's how serious it is that's the shame uh, that that the family feels you are bringing to them it's important to see that that for these people the stakes are high when it comes to a, a choice of whether to acknowledge Jesus I think we realize the gravity of it uh, when we realize for us, where where the stakes are nowhere near as high, uh, that we still wrestle, don't we? Uh, We still struggle, we we still hold our tongues when it comes to sharing our faith for fear of what people might think of us, for fear of the response that we might have. Uh, And generally for us, uh, what are the stakes? A, A lost friendship, a little bit of rejection, maybe even a lost job at worst? But is that pressure that we feel the same as this group that we're reading about here, this group that refuses to acknowledge Jesus? Is this a group of Christians who just lack a bit of courage? uh, Or are they not there yet? Have they so far ultimately rejected Jesus by not acknowledging him? Uh, And I think the answer is to say that these people aren't there yet. They're not yet Christians. They haven't come to a saving faith. And now that might shock you. Uh, it, it says clearly there that they believed after all. Uh, but I think uh, our Christian culture over the, the last 40 years or so has done us a bit of a disservice in this department. I think for many years, what's been communicated from the Christian community is that a Christian is someone who believes in Jesus. Uh, now, in a sense, that's not untrue. Uh, But I think that that the language has tricked us into thinking that Christianity is simply a belief with no accompanying action. That so long as I believe that Jesus really was God and that he died for me, that what I do is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. But that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Jesus describes the Christian not as a set of things to believe, rather he describes a Christian as someone who follows being a Christian, being his disciple, as he puts it, uh, is someone who takes up their cross and follows Jesus. That's how Jesus describes it. The book of James is very clear that faith without action is, is no faith at all. Uh, now, we need to be clear that that's of course not saying that we in any way earn our Christianity. Uh, we're not earning it in any way, but, but it simply means that a real faith will always have action. Here in John, that, that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, this isn't the first time we've seen a, a group uh, who've, who've seemed to have a faith, who've been described as, as believing in some sense, uh, and we later discover that they've left, that they weren't saved at all. So, what is this, this bit here for? What, what's it trying to tell us? What's it encouraging us to do? Well, I think it does two things. I think, firstly, it warns us about the kind of belief that we need to have to be saved, that we can't fool ourselves into thinking that we can have the kind of faith where we keep ourselves hidden under a rock. Matthew 5 tells us you don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you you let that light shine so that all can see. A genuine faith in Jesus is a faith that is to be shared. This section stands as a warning a warning that, that fearing man more than fearing God is dangerous. Did you see that there in verse 43? For they loved human praise more than the praise from God. I think we'll, we'll all have that temptation. Uh, we'll all be tempted to, to place our position in front of people ahead of our position in front of God. Uh, we'll all be tempted to hide our faith for fear of what people will think. And here is a warning not to give in to that temptation. And I think when we we look at what a real belief is, that becomes a whole lot easier. We'll, We'll get to that in the next point. Before I get there, though, I want to hold out that this middle ground, this inadequate faith, this faith that isn't there yet doesn't have to be where where that person stays this isn't a final decree Uh, if you've heard all this and you're worried it's you or if you know someone who's in this category I encourage you that until the day they die until the day you die it's not too late think of Nicodemus Uh, at this point in the gospel this is him Think about what we know of him so far. So far, he's snuck out at night to see Jesus in darkness. He's hidden what faith he has. Uh, He did speak out in chapter 7. He he encouraged them to to judge Jesus fairly, but he certainly didn't stand up in his corner. But in just a few days from this moment, just a few days from chapter 12, uh, we'll see him go out in view of all the Pharisees, publicly align himself with jesus uh, as he buries him he takes hold of the right kind of belief a belief that stands up as a follower of jesus a belief with action Uh, now finally i want to come to the third response uh, and that is true belief Uh, have a look with me at verses 44 to 50. We read, Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words, but does not keep them... Sorry, my iPad just cut out. I don't know why. Good old technology. Maybe I need to just come around here. Where do we get up to? Oh, there we like. go. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. All right back to it. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come in, come to, the, to judge the world, but to save the world. Uh, the first, uh, there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words, the very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this His command leads to eternal life. So, whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Uh, Now, as we look at that section, the very first thing I want you to notice uh, is how Jesus goes about sharing these final words of his public ministry with the crowd. Uh, Look how the section starts. Then Jesus cried out. He doesn't say to them or tell them, he cries out, Here is Jesus passionate for the message to get through Uh, and what is his message here? Uh, Threaded through here are are glimpses of what we've seen throughout that first 12 chapters. Uh, We see that Jesus is the light who has come to save, that his words bring eternal life that free us from death and darkness, that there's only two places we can land when we come to Jesus, in that light or in the darkness, with life. It's encouraging to see that the goal of his being here was that he came not to judge but to save. Reminding us of what we read uh, way back in John chapter 3, verse 16 uh, and 17 that follows. You'll remember, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Um, Now, that might strike you as a little bit odd. Uh, You've probably uh, heard before, read before somewhere, that Jesus is the judge. So why does it say that he didn't come to judge? Uh, Especially, so John chapter 5, uh, 22, we read, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Uh, So what's going on here in chapter 12? Uh, Well, it's simply a statement of purpose. Uh, why did jesus come not to judge though he is the judge he came to save that's what he's here for but in these last public words of jesus there's one central truth uh, that it's important for us to grab hold of Uh, it's there at the start of what we read verse 44 and 5 then jesus cried out whoever believes in me does not believe in me only but in the one who sent me the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me To see Jesus is to see the Father. And to know the Father is to know Jesus. This truth is at the heart of true belief. This truth of Jesus' identity. That Jesus is God. Uh, At Home Group, uh, the Home Group I'm in on Wednesday, uh, Ben helped uh, us draw out the meaning here a a little bit uh, with a reference to the movie Avatar. Uh, I don't know if you've seen Avatar before. Uh, if you haven't, don't worry. It's just Pocahontas with good graphics. Uh, but in it, these big blue guys, I don't actually know what they're called, uh, but these big blue guys say a line to each other, and it's a relational line. Uh, its I've got a little clip. It's really short, blinking, you miss it. Click, Jason looks ready. Here we go. I see you. I see you. There you go. Uh, I see you, a simple little line. Uh, there was a lot of hassle to get that up there for one little line, wasn't it? Uh, but they say, I see you. Uh, and you can see from the clip, you can definitely see if you've seen the movie, uh, that it's much more than, oh, I've noticed that you're there. Uh, I see you means I see who you really are. I see beyond the surface. I see to the heart. I see you, you in your fullness, I guess. Uh, and it's a little bit cheesy it's that romantic thing um but it captures something of what's going on here in this passage Uh, the true believer sees jesus they see him in all his glory not simply a special man but as god in his fullness jesus stresses here that uh, that all that he says comes from the father Uh, that not accepting him means not accepting the Father. Accepting him is to accept the Father. And when you see that, when you see the reality of Jesus as God, then true belief flows naturally from it. Uh, Nathan and I were talking this week uh, about people in our lives who claim Jesus, who claim a belief, claim to be Christians, simply because they say the words, I believe. Uh, but without any actions to accompany it. But it's not true belief, is it? They haven't grasped the real Jesus. To them, he's just some guy in history. Sure, they believe he existed, but they haven't grabbed hold of him as God, their God, the maker of the universe. True belief is seeing the reality of Jesus as God become man. It's knowing that there is nowhere else for us to turn. Nowhere else for us to go. Nowhere else for us to find life and to find it to the full. And truly seeing Him is to turn to Him, to turn our lives to following Him. Now, that's of course not to say that there won't be hiccups as we pursue that. Uh, there will be. We'll, we'll trip up, we'll make mistakes over and over again. We will get it wrong. We will give in to our fear of man. But when we know Jesus, when we really see him, when we see God, we won't have a choice but to head in his direction. We won't be able to resist. There will be nowhere else for us to turn. I want to finish by asking how do you see Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Not just know of him, but know him. Do you see him for who he truly is? Do you recognise that to see Jesus is to see God? If you do, if that's you, then you know that there's nothing more important and that there's nothing more satisfying, nothing more fulfilling than to head wholeheartedly in his direction. So let me encourage you, don't let anything get in the way. Don't be distracted. Kick off that fear of man. Chase what is really important. Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you haven't really seen Jesus. Maybe you're not ready to accept the signs that he's done. If you're like that person in the middle ground, the the person who who sees that there's something there but but hasn't got it yet, that faith hasn't turned to action, it's not a true belief. I want to tell you that Jesus' claims are true. When he says that he's come to bring life to the full, he means it. He says it with God's own words, he says it with words we can trust. And the most fulfilling place that we can possibly be is in action. It is following Jesus, pointing our lives towards him and getting on with it. I want to encourage you, if that's you, look deeper. See the real Jesus. Be satisfied by the real Jesus. Find that fulfillment. Do you see Jesus? Let's pray lord i want to thank you for this passage Uh, this last look that we've had at john lord i thank you for the whole series and just the many things that you've shown us but here i thank you for this opportunity to see jesus to see the real jesus to to see god in him lord i thank you that uh, in him we have a place where we can be fulfilled where we can find satisfaction where we can find purpose and meaning. Lord, help us to embrace it. Uh, There are so many distractions in this world, so many things that will trip us up and try and pull us away. Uh, Help us to rest on that knowledge. Help us to to go wholeheartedly after him. Uh, And for those of us who aren't there yet, uh, who haven't seen the real Jesus, we pray that you would open our eyes that we might see turn us that we might believe let us follow jesus wholeheartedly we pray that in his awesome name amen
0: um okay so does anyone have any questions for rob there's quite a few tricky topics in there it's okay if you don't it's fine
1: oh it's always
0: woody oh yep i've got to come to you with a microphone Uh, it's It's project
1: project with this thing um just verse 44 just struck me that jesus is talking to the crowd uh, this is the physical jesus saying look at me and you'll see the one who sent me mm. so probably from his three-year ministry but then the eternal what's written here in the bible basically you know jesus life through the bible and we see god through um yeah the recorded yeah. word um, more of a com- yeah, it's a, a comment. <laughs> it's a funny section, is it? Because it feels like someone's decided to sum up the twelve chapters, in a sense. But it's Jesus speaking, and, and so he's kind of, it's this last appeal. Look, I'm the Father. Rejecting me is rejecting the Father, and it's particularly pertinent when you're talking to, you know, uh, Israel, to, to Jewish believers who claim to know the Father, and and so there's there's weight to that, isn't there? If you're saying Rejecting me is rejecting the Father. That's a big deal to say to a Pharisee particularly, isn't it?